account. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used or just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hi, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech Podcast. Um, my guest today is David Johnston, uh, chairman of the board of Factum, F-A-C-T-O-M. And we're going to be talking about uh, what Factum does and some interesting uh, things going on in the Bitcoin space, which is more uh, dysfunctional than a Jerry Springer show. So, Dave, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Richard. Good to talk with you. Yeah. So can you start tell listeners um, what Factum does, and then we'll get into your background a little bit. Sure. Happy to. So at a high level, what Factum does is provide a data layer on top of the blockchain. So when I say a data layer, I mean Factum enables companies and people to secure huge amounts of data. We're talking millions or even billions of records and publish them in Factum, and Factum provides the service of anchoring all of that data to the blockchain. So today we anchor into uh, the Bitcoin blockchain. We've added the code so that we can begin anchors in Ethereum, and uh, we're committed to sort of anchor into lots of the ecosystem's public blockchain. So what we're essentially doing is leveraging all that security from the Bitcoin and the Ethereum blockchains, all the electricity that's been used by miners to secure the network. And we're extending that security to the data and the records that people publish on Factum. So we think that's really important because all of the scalability of a blockchain hinges on our ability to publish more and more data in a way that isn't uh, bloating or directly uh, putting that data into the main public chain. So Factum basically has a system that allows us to publish that data, create these these auditing proofs or auditing trails, we call them, and you can follow those proofs to your data and validate your data without needing the entire blockchain. And we think that's really important as you think about scalability. So what this means in reality is Factum has secured more than 100 million records since it went live in 2015. And uh, it only took us about 80,000 anchors. So we're securing hundreds or thousands of records for every transaction that we're putting into to Bitcoin. So that's, that's how we think uh, we can scale. Yeah, so you're like a car crusher for data. Crush it all <laughs> into a small amount, put it onto the, the block, various blockchains, right? Well, I think about it, uh, if, if people remember going back when there were libraries, right? You would go to the library and you'd go to the index. Right. That's how you looked up where the book was. Right. So today with a blockchain, you read all of the records in order to find what you're looking for. Right. You need to validate the whole blockchain. What Factum does is creates a, an index for the blockchain. So you can say, OK, I don't need to read everything. I just need to see. Yep. My chain's here. You know, uh, it has a special uh, chain ID. OK. Yeah, this is my chain and this is the data I need to validate. But I don't have to read the whole library to find what I'm looking for. So it's just a lot more efficient when you're dealing with huge amounts of data to have an index to find what you're looking for. Can you talk a little bit without getting too techy about Merkle trees and the mechanism by which you 
which you squash down data to make it uh, in a more compact form? Sure. Um, the analogy that Paul Snow, the inventor of Factum, loves to use is that of sports brackets, right? Because most people have filled out a sports bracket. And if you're imagining, you know, let's say, you know, uh, March Madness or something, and there's teams and, you know, you fill out the bracket and eventually get to the, the finals and then the winner, right? Imagine that. So that's very similar to a Merkle tree, right? So what a Merkle tree does is it takes two hashes, two documents, if you will, and it hashes them together and it creates a new proof, a new hash. And then it does that again and again and again. And so eventually you end up with one uh, string of letters and numbers at the bottom, which is called the Merkle root. And you can prove any of the data higher in the tree. You, you can use that data higher in the tree to prove uh, the Merkle. The Merkle root proves that data higher in the tree. So if you know who the winner of the, uh, the sports event was, and you can follow each of their matches Yep. Okay. They won their first, they won their second, they won their third game. And then they won the last game. I don't need to know the records of all the other sports teams in the sports bracket, right? I can just validate the path that team took to winning the final, right? So that's a good way of thinking about it, right? Instead of looking at the whole universe, all you needed to look at were a couple of records. One of the things that's important about this is, is it works exponentially, right? So if you imagine 20 layers of the Merkle tree, well, to 20 times is a million records, right? To 30 times is a billion records, right? So you can record a billion data points and you only need those 30 records that shows you from where you went at the top to where you go at the bottom, right? So in That's 30 amazing. data points, you've proved something that was buried in a billion data points, right? So that's the level of scalability that we're talking about. Um, and the reality is this is really important for any big companies that want to use the blockchain because, yeah, they can do a proof of concept directly on Bitcoin or directly on Ethereum. But a lot of these companies have hundreds of millions of records daily, right? They're, they're never going to be able to shoehorn that directly into the Bitcoin and Ethereum. So that's why we built Factum to provide this data layer where you can take these big data sets and efficiently anchor them to the public blockchains, right? And you inherit immutability. The documents are now tamper-proof. You're getting all the time stamping. And so the utility is, okay, now I have an immutable database, and I can prove that these records haven't been altered, they haven't been faked. You know, if you were to change a single bit in any of those records, it would break those hashes. It would break that data tree, that Merkle tree that, that you've built. So you can prove with math, without having to trust the other party, that these records are correct and were published at this time, and you still got all the copies. So that's really powerful when it comes to accounting, auditing, and all those sort of functions. That's amazing. How come um, before blockchain companies didn't use Merkle trees to, to secure a huge amount of data they had? I know they wouldn't get all the benefits of a blockchain, but does anyone in the industry do this already without anchoring it to a blockchain to um, memorialize their data and conserve it? There have been a few groups uh, historically who have done uh, the Merkle tree uh, service. Uh, one group that comes to mind is Guard Time, which I believe is based in Europe. And uh, this is what they did in you know taking this data and efficiently creating these proofs. But you still have to trust that central company, right? And that's what the financial industry is running to again and again. Every time they've tried to create these platforms where they could do these these proofs and these audits. It's always been corrupted because it's a, a, a centralized party, 
right? It becomes a honeypot for attacks and hackers. It becomes, you know, a problem of, you know, corrupting the middleman. And so even the financial industry, there have been a lot of attempts to uh, create centralized en- uh, entities that do this. Really, what the blockchain brought was a neutral platform. All of a sudden, people could use the blockchain and not have to trust the other person, right? They could just trust the math. They could check and validate the math and they know the transaction is valid. They know the document is correct. So it created, it, it took something that had existed, basically uh, made it much, much more useful. The way Paul talks about this is you're adding a public witness, right? Because hmm. any system without a public witness, you can't really validate the history before you showed up, right? Imagine you've got a consortium of four banks, right? And they're doing transactions among themselves. And you want to add a fifth bank. Okay, well, that's fine. But the fifth bank doesn't have any way other than trusting the, the current database to validate the past. They weren't there to see those transactions. They don't have a way to know what happened. But as soon as you take those uh, private applications and you begin publishing these proofs to a public blockchain, then when the fifth bank joins, they can validate all of data from the past. And I guess this is an important point that's worth highlighting. Factum lets users take private data, private applications, and create these auditing trails in a way that doesn't expose any of the private data, right? Unless you have the document, you couldn't recreate these hashes, right? So you're not revealing anything about these documents by publishing their fingerprint, their hash, if you will, in uh, the Factum blockchain, right? So you're gaining the value of having a public witness without exposing the private data. So you can keep the private things private, but you can publish this public audit trail that later on you can validate those documents and records. What happens to the private data that companies um, are storing? You know, what if they lose some of the private data? It doesn't seem like you can reconstitute all the data, you know, once it's merkleized or once it's been hashed, hashed in. Right. So what happens if a company loses it and uh, can you help them in any way to reconstitute it or find it or something? That's that's a great question. And it brings up the point that Factum is not data storage, right? There are a lot of solutions. You know, you can go to Amazon Web Services or, you know, a dozen places to get data storage, right? What Factum is doing is data validation, right? And data security. So, where it's helpful in disaster recovery, which is what you're describing, hey, you know, the files, you know, the server died and the files went away. A lot of people have disaster recovery systems where it's backed up somewhere. When where Factum is helpful is how do you know you got all the data back when you do um, a recovery after a disaster, right? You've synced this data to a backup. And if you were publishing these hashes of all the documents that you have on file, all of a sudden you'd be able to validate, yes, I had, you know, 10,000 files in my system. And when I got my backup back, not only do I have 10,000 files, but I can see that they're the same 10,000 files, right? So nothing has been altered. My backup is complete and I'm not missing any data, which is uh, something that the, the disaster recovery service can't tell you, right? Because they can only know the latest version of what you've seen. Right. They don't know if there was a gap there between when the disaster happened and when you did the sync. But if you were publishing in, in live time, these records all of a sudden you'd have a way to validate uh, your recovery files. 
Is there any fear you see from companies because maybe they would like the ability to alter their own data? So there, you know, any any hesitations or reservations about using this system because you know it it kind of goes both ways. <clears throat> Once you agree as a company to memorialize the data, you know, using Factum, then you really can't change it. Yes, and it's a good comparable thing is an append-only database, right? It's not that you can't update records and say, hey, you know, uh, we published this file, you know. Uh, the name was misspelled. Here's the updated version of the file, and I'm publishing now. What you can't do is pretend that the original didn't get published and that there wasn't an error, right? So you could always pretend by publishing a new latest record and the audit trail for it, but you can't erase the past, right? So it's it's an issue to the extent that people have to have their systems in order and. Factum doesn't solve the garbage in problem. Uh, you've probably heard that phrase, garbage in, garbage out, meaning if you put bad data in, you're just going to get bad data out. But it does create an accountability where people know that, okay, what I publish today is going to be checked later, right? So I'm going to make sure I'm publishing this correctly because my name's on the line, right? I'm signing the document. It's provably you know, submitted by me. And if I get it wrong, right, that, that's on me. Hopefully, changes behavior where people, you know, uh, want to make sure they get things right the first time, you know, and it's not, oh well, we'll fix it later, you know, it's wrong now, but we'll fix it later. You really want to get it right the first time. So it starts to hopefully change behavior and encourage uh, people that are building these systems to do it in a way that that gets it right uh, the first time. But at least you're sort of locking in history, and you can know what you did right and what you did wrong. But you get those you get those red flags immediately, right? Not three years from now when there's an audit and you discover the problem, right? If if they're inputting the wrong data and it's not matching what's in the records, you could know that right away, right? By comparing those documents to what's been published. So one, you find problems faster. Two, you identify bad actors uh, and can hold them accountable. And three, if it's a good actor and it's just an honest mistake, you can always append it. And, update the record, uh, but you can't pretend it didn't happen. But ultimately, I, I think this is going to end up as a requirement and a best practice that you know uh, the industry wants, because as soon as immutable data exists, you know why wouldn't you want immutable data, right? It's become negligent not to use immutable data, uh, I think is where we're going. All right. I want to talk about some use cases. Uh, one, I don't know if this is a valid one or not, but would it be beneficial for other blockchains to use Factum to memorialize their blockchain and its transactions as an insurance against a future fork or you know, a certain blockchain going bust for some reason? Have you ever thought about that use case? Oh, yeah, definitely. I think that'll be an interesting one. You know, For example, you could take the block headers um, off of Ethereum and you could anchor them to Bitcoin. You could take the Bitcoin block headers and anchor them into uh, Ethereum either way, and uh, you'd be gaining the immutability of that other chain by anchoring it into uh, the other blockchain. So, no, I think that's that's something that's coming, you know, and as we anchor into multiple blockchains, I'm sure people will start leveraging that. Um, and that way you can sort of create these uh, validation proofs outside of just one universe, right? Sort of the blockchain universe is very much islands right now, right? Blockchain, Bitcoin blockchain can only validate uh, data that's happened 
in its ledger, right? And same for Ethereum and Ethereum Classic and Ripple and everybody else, right? So moving to a world where we can get to interoperable blockchains is going to be really, really useful because you can imagine then uh, it'd be much simpler to build an application that that leverages multiple blockchains, right? You're writing the smart contract in Ethereum and you're you know, validating or triggering it off of data published in Factum, and maybe you're triggering a send of uh, Bitcoin or some other asset uh, as a result, right? And today you need all of those uh, blockchains in order to do that. But I could see a world in which this becomes a lot more interoperable. You're easy to, it's easier to validate across uh, those in a much more efficient way. Well, very good. So what are, what are some of the uh, most interesting use cases that people are using Factum for already? Are you at that stage? You know what? And to you personally, which ones do you think will be the most interesting or useful or exciting? Well, you know, one of the things we had to ask ourselves are what's the most valuable use case, right? And I think it really goes uh, to the heart of it that, you know, blockchain is so new in the industry is so early that there's this huge open field of opportunities, right? And everybody's imagining the many, many things that can be done. And so, we went through that process in 2015, 2016. Factum had conversations with hundreds of enterprise groups that approached us about using this data layer. And we ended up at the end of the day saying, okay, we're going to focus on the use cases where it creates uh, the most value, where, where this type of um, pain that it's solving is most acute, right? And so if you look at some of our public announcements, uh, whether it's the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates project or the DHS project or other things that we've announced, you can see that these are problems that really have uh, a big gap in trust, right? That the records are very valuable and that blockchain adds a lot of value, right? It's not just a novelty of that, you know, adding a blockchain. It's something that solves a problem that couldn't be solved before. So that's the filter that we really uh, approach these use cases with. And I think so for us, thinking about this as data instead of transactions or payment or currency, you know, it's about record keeping. A lot of these use cases, you know, whether it's records for DHS or records for Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, it, it's very similar as far as a documentation problem. And I'd say that's, that's one of the big things we've hit on is this documentation is, is very tough. Um, and today it's very slow. And you're not even competing a lot of times with databases. You're competing with pieces of paper. Because in 2017, people are still printing out backups in the financial industry because they don't trust their databases because they can be hacked or attacked or compromised, but they trust a piece of paper. And so there are still custodians with giant warehouses full of paper that are securing all of these assets, right? It's hard to believe at this image, but that that's where it's at, right? So Factum offers first time a way to have the same level of confidence in a digital record that today they have in, in a piece of paper, right? Because they're confident that, you know, the odds somebody's going to break into the warehouse and, you know, sort through billions of pieces of paper and find the one piece of paper that they want to alter and they're going to go in there with an ink and some, you know, uh, some whiteout, like the odds of that really, really low, right? Because physical security is, is a lot more robust. And that's really tough compared to breaking into a database, right? So, but as soon as you have a blockchain proof backing up digital documents or database, you can then have the same level of confidence in that database. You say, yep, I can prove mathematically that 
this record hasn't changed. It was time stamped at the right uh, place and time. You know, it's properly signed, and I'm not missing any data. Right? And so the need for all that paper finally shifts from, okay, now I can really have, you know, full confidence in my digital records. So right now, what, um, what kind of companies are using Factum and how are they using it? If you could disclose it. So what kind of use cases the, are out there right now? Well, a lot of the these are financial companies. So uh, if you think about valuable assets, whether it's titles or mortgages um, or insurance contracts, those are the type of those are the type of companies where this pain is most acute. Right? They have high auditing costs. They have lots of paper involved, and they want to get to uh, a lot more efficient system. So, you know, um, can't talk about any uh, projects that aren't yet public, but you know, I would highlight our partnership that we recently publicized with uh, SmartTrack. So this is a company that does a lot of the uh, RFID chips and secure paper and passports and that, those sorts of things for uh, governments around the world. And they care very high, very dearly about, about security. And so we've launched a project publicly with them called DLock, which ties the uh, RFID chip Right, that unique chip that they're printing in these pieces of paper or in these documents, and it ties it to Factum. So it's publishing that identity in the blockchain. So all of a sudden, you can uh, look at the uh, document or, or scan this RFID chip and validate that identity against the blockchain. So that's, I think, a real-world use case that's going to get uh, broad adoption because it's an area where people really, really care about security and getting those important documents uh, correct and being able to validate them uh, around different countries and for places that they go. So I would I would use that as a good example of of somebody. Um, another group in China uh, using it today, uh, Baochen. Uh, Baochen is based in Hangzhou, which is just southwest of Shanghai, and they're publishing uh, business documents. So they have provided a notary service between the government notary and the businesses that just want to log into a website add the documents they want notarized. And so they've been one of our earliest users and one of our largest users in the world. And uh, they publish all these business documents they're notarizing and they're uh, syncing them to the blockchain using Factum in order to, to prove to their clientele that the records are complete and, and valid. And so that's another real-world use case uh, that we've seen a lot of adoption for. So, But I think those two are, are really good to highlight. Any um, hiccup now that um, different companies are using Factum? Any things you guys didn't anticipate that uh, you're either fixing or were surprisingly beneficial or strange? Well, um, we've taken this approach where Factum is, is data agnostic. So whether the company wants to publish something to do with data or records or documents or you know, they want to put JSON in there, they can put an encrypted text in there, um, that doesn't affect how we run the service. Right, it's agnostic. It's not trying to understand that data. It's just seeking to secure that data. So the types of applications can do are really, really broad. Um, I'd say the usage and the fast growth has been exciting and, and certainly surprising. I mean, to get to 100 million records in the system, and it's just only been since September of 2015, so not even two years ago. Uh, that the system has been live. So that's been exciting. I mean, all Bitcoin transactions ever, something like a little over 200 million. So to be at half the number of 
uh, of records uh, in just under two years and sort of take that load off of the Bitcoin network and put it into this data layer, that's really exciting. And I wouldn't be surprised if we get to a point in a year or two where there are more records in, in factum than the entire Bitcoin blockchain. And, and hopefully one day it'll be 10 times as many, 100 times as many. And that will be succeeding in giving people a tool that secures to the blockchain without having to uh, put those records directly in the, into the Bitcoin blockchain. That, that would represent a huge mm. success for us. Is there a limit to the amount of data that you can work with and store? Not really. I mean, thanks to the Merkle trees, uh, they're very efficient in, uh, in, in securing large, large sets of data. In fact, one of the things we did as a proof of concept early on is we took the entire Gutenberg library. You probably remember from the early days of the web, this is all the public domain books. There's like 28,000 mm. books. And, and these are all in, in the public domain. And we took the entire Gutenberg library, we hashed it, uh, each individual book, and we published the whole thing in fact, right? This is a database of 40 gigabytes, right? And it took us, you know, a few hours to uh, to prepare and, and structure and hash and put it into the blockchain, right? So you can take really an unlimited amount of data and publish these very small uh, proofs. Uh, the hashes are about 32 bytes each, right? And um, mm. that's that's pretty amazing. So you can secure terabytes, uh, exabytes, any unlimited amount of data with this with this approach. So there really isn't a, a meaningful limit. Um, eventually, at some point where uh, even using those efficiencies, you have lots of different people all publishing hashes, we may get into a situation uh, where you create a level above that, right? And you're creating a, a Merkle tree above the Merkle tree, and then you could add even more scale um, through that. But we're, we're a long way off from, uh, from needing to do that. In fact, I'm offers a solution probably for the next five, 10 years, uh, even before we get to those type of approaches to, uh, to scale. You know what I realized is funny is people are Merkle trees genetically. You have your parents, your <laughs> parents' parents. And so it's kind of funny. I, I, I wonder how the genetic history you inherited. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, so, um, how much does Factum cost to use? Is it super cheap and, you know, how do you pay and how does it work when you want to become a customer and use your data or your, your storage? So there are, yeah, that's a great question. So there are a few different audiences, really. Um, Factum Network itself is open source. And so, you know, code is available. You can run your own Factum node and you don't need anybody's permission. And you can publish data to the network at about a tenth of a penny per uh, K of data. Um, but that's really the audience for developers, right? If you're building your own uh, application, and really even not even most developers, it's probably an audience for blockchain developers and folks that are very, very deep into this ecosystem and want to run a node and run a wallet and deal with all that complexity. I would say for most developers and most companies that want to use Factum, uh, they're going to use our Factum Apollo product, which is our set of APIs. Uh, this is offered by the Factum for Profit that makes it really easy to publish data to Factum as simple as a, a RESTful API call. So, hey, publish this document, right? And the developer never has to have a wallet or a node or entry credits. You know, the company does all that for them and obscures that complexity. So they can just focus on building their application. And it's just charged on a per-call basis. And uh, that'll be on the website. I haven't released all of that 
publicly, but we're working with uh, with beta customers now, and we've announced uh, the platform. And then the third level is folks that want to use an end application. So a lot of these are enterprise companies. You know, hey, I'm a bank, and I want to secure all my uh, documents around a uh, mortgage. That's what we have Factum Harmony for. And Harmony provides them a user interface, a web portal where they can log in, they can see all the documents that they're auditing, um, and we provide all that industry-specific software. We've hired a number of industry experts, uh, Jason Nadeau, Lori Pyle, uh, folks that have been in the mortgage and banking industry for 20-plus years and built enterprise software. So they need an interface that's very different than the folks building a generalized application uh, compared to you know the blockchain developers that want to build something on the blockchain. So those are sort of the three three audiences we think of uh, when it comes to people using Factum. Okay. So yeah, just last last couple of questions. So what's the roadmap for Factum? You know, over the next year and then the next couple of years, what are some big projects you guys are working on, and where is it going? Well, I think our goal is really to bring this to major companies that want to do real production uh, use cases in the blockchain. We've heard all these announcements about big banks and others uh, experimenting and doing proof of concepts and doing, you know, the first this or that on the blockchain, but without a scalable data layer, it's hard to put those into production. So I think for success at Factum is us serving those major enterprises and letting them put their blockchain uh, applications into full production. So as far as I'm aware, Factum is one of the very few companies with enterprise clients that have software in production on the blockchain. And I think that's important because that's where the rubber really meets the road. If you think about the early days of the internet, you know, there was a lot of experimentation and then you had sort of the first wave of, of serious applications that could cons- uh, serve millions of customers. Um, and that's the inflection point that I think we're getting to and uh, is really the roadmap for Factum is we've started with uh, this mortgage and uh, a financial industry. And I think as we find other really compelling use cases, we'll expand into more industries. And that's sort of our roadmap for releasing products based on the traction that we see uh, with customers. And uh, we've always got the platform available for uh, other companies or for developers who want to build on it too. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Dave, thanks for coming. I really appreciate it. And it's uh, very interesting what you guys are doing. It's, it's great stuff. Yeah. I appreciate it, Richard. Good uh, discussion. Happy to come anytime. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.